Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend Eric Kokonen. Welcome to the podcast, Eric. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me today. Will you spell your name yeah. for our listeners? Yeah, K-O-K-K-O-N-E-N. And it's Eric with a K. Correct. So that's three Ks. No, that's four Ks in your name. Yeah. And um, I'll give you just a, K. a special K. I like that. Um, I'll give our listeners just an overview of who we're talking to before we get into kind of Eric's awesome story. Eric is, is in his mid-30s. He's a practicing dermatologist, lives in Salem, Oregon. He's active member of the church, currently serves in his elders' corn presidency, Eric is gay. Eric has served a mission in New York City with some time on Bermuda. We could talk about that. I've loved, always wanted to go to Bermuda. But what Eric is going to do is share his story as a gay Latter-day Saint, growing up, coming out to um, parents, to bishops, and then um, really um, engaging in his ward and coming out in a much broader way over the last year and including a ch- talk he gave at church and and discussions that are occurring within his elders quorum. Eric really hasn't come out broadly on Facebook in a big way and um, has just felt impressed, and we'll talk about that, his um, feelings now to step into this in a more and just share his journey and help um, change hearts on a one-to-one basis. Anything that you want to correct there, Eric, or... No, nothing to correct. I, I do want to point out, of course, it goes without saying that that what we talk about is not a prescription for other people. Um, I don't hold this as the standard or anything like that. Um, everyone has their own journey. And uh, this is just sort of a, uh, you know, my my journey and I've been helped by the, the other podcasts that you've had. Um, and it's just great to hear the multiple diverse experiences of other people. It's great. Eric offered a prayer before we started, and he just prayed that this podcast would touch one person, that one more heart would change. Maybe an LGBTQ person would feel a little more hope hearing Eric's story, or maybe a local leader, or a parent, or a friend, or a sibling that would just get to know our LGBTQ brothers better through hearing Eric's story. So I feel a really good spirit in our home as we're shut starting this podcast and pray that you can feel it. And Eric's prayer before we went live will be felt with you. I feel like you're now my dermatologist, though. I want to talk to you about dermatology. And and I'm sure everybody at church says, look at this, look at that. I've got something. And then they tell you all their stories. Is that true? That is absolutely true. Even at the gym. Uh, multiple places. If they know I'm a dermatologist, they'll come ask questions. So I'm used to it. (laughs) Well, we're not going to turn this into a dermatologist podcast. Um, We may have Eric back for another episode if we want to go down that road, but it's a little outside the scope of our podcast. So talk about growing up, when you came to terms with your sexual orientation, who you came out to, when you came out, just kind of those early chapters, Eric. Sure. I grew up in Laie, Hawaii, which is on the north shore of the island of Oahu on the doorsteps of BYU, Hawaii. Uh, that's where my dad taught. Uh, he was a professor. Um, and my my parents, uh, my, my, my father was a convert, so uh, he didn't have a lot of the cultural, uh, you know, things that came with, with Mormonism. Uh, he was new to it. 
Um, my mom was the type where she wasn't, uh, she was, she was a, uh, a teach them correct principles and let them govern themselves type of person. So she wasn't overbearing. Uh, and I bring that up because it was, you know, influential in my, in my development. Are your parents um, alive? Yeah. Both of them are alive. Okay. Yep. Yep. Um, and, uh, the, the, the community that I grew up in was predominantly, uh, members of the church, but the high school that I went to had a diverse, uh, mix. Uh, Hawaii itself is, a, a melting pot of sorts, different cultures, different races, ethnicities. And so I, I sort of grew up accepting differences in people. Um, I really came to my terms with my sexuality when I was uh, 12 or 13. The specific instance that I remember was I went to a Christmas concert at BYU Hawaii and noticed that I was very attracted to a couple of guys there, one in particular. And I remember walking home that night and feeling quite distraught by it. We had never discussed this issue at home. Uh, we had never talked about gay people at all. All I knew about it was, you know, insults that were thrown uh, at school towards anything that was disgusting, anything that was odd or abnormal. And so I knew that it was bad to be gay. Um, and I, I even wrote a, uh, a, uh, something in my journal here and I'd really like to read it if that's okay with Dude, you simply be, because takes you back. This it, is 20 plus years ago. This You're... was 23 years ago, almost to the day actually. Um, it said, I looked and saw a guy who I thought was good looking. I've thought of myself as a homosexual and in parentheses, I put, I'm so embarrassed to say this since then that thought won't go away. It's depressed me so badly and I've really wanted to be another person. It seems as though God doesn't love me. So that was what I wrote in my journal. Um, and, and that was another motivation for coming on today was, is if there's another 13 year old, I imagine my 13 year old self. And again, I had loving great parents. I, I just felt like I was doing something bad, something wrong. And so I didn't want to disappoint them by talking about it. And, and, uh, and so if there's any 13 year old out there who, uh, you know, feels that they can't talk to anyone, uh, I hope that this can sort of give some kind of hope and some kind of, um, balm, uh, if you, if you might say, um, and so, you know, if you can imagine as a 13 year old, um, even as a parent, how would you feel if your 13 year old son or 13 year old daughter had those types of feelings about themselves that they didn't know whether God loved them or, or, um, you know, whether they were, you know, even worth living, um, and I think we can, I think we can do better, um, understanding uh, this issue. So I think it takes a lot of courage just to write that in your journal. Right. You know, that's, you could just keep that locked in your head, but I think it takes a lot of courage to write that down. And so, yeah, for me, it wasn't a question of, of identity. It wasn't denial. It was sort of owning up to the fact that I, you know, I, I realized that I'm, you know, I have these attractions. Um, but again, no one, nothing was ever talked about it. Um, so I, I, I tried to search for any information that I could get about it. 
Uh, we, of course, no one talked about it at church. I didn't know any gay people, at least openly. Um, it was sort of the initial stages of internet days. Uh, we didn't have it at home, so we couldn't just go online and search up, you know, in Google. So I went out to our garage and we had this dusty copy of, of the miracle of forgiveness. And if you haven't read it, please don't. Um, and, and I, and I don't mean that disrespectfully, but, um, but it, it did some damaging things to my, uh, to my psyche. Um, and, and again, I have written down here sort of the paragraph that I remember just, just hitting really home. So if you don't mind me reading that, please as well. do. It says homosexuality is an ugly sin repugnant to those who find no temptation in it. It is embarrassing and unpleasant as a subject for discussion, but because of its prevalence, the need to warn the uninitiated and the desire to help those who may already be involved in it, it is discussed in this chapter. So it was an opening to a chapter. And the very fact that it said that it was unpleasant as a topic of discussion, well, I wasn't going to bring it up then. How was I going to talk about it if it, everyone else thought it was unpleasant and it was you know, disgusting? And, and the unfortunate thing is that I wasn't quite able to distinguish between the fact that, you know, just having the feelings or the attractions didn't make me this repugnant, you know, individual, but it's also not so clear in the writings. I agree. So, um, I also back in the, the mid nineties to late nineties, there was Hawaii was also the battlegrounds for uh, same gender marriage. And I remember hearing talks being given in church about how, if we allowed this to happen, it was going to destroy quote unquote traditional marriage. And so there were just sort of a series of messages to me that, that what I was, 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 was evil, not wanted. Uh, and so, um, I, I, I really came to terms um, after I had graduated from high school and was going to college that I needed to tell someone about it, um, especially if I was going to prepare for a mission, whether this disqualified me for a mission or not. So I told my parents first of all, and and again they were they were loving. They had unconditional love towards me, but they also didn't understand it. They didn't they didn't know how to help. Uh, I. So we talked about it with the bishop. The bishop also was very uh, well-intentioned, um, loving, but uh, the advice that he gave to me was, uh, uh, I'll, I'll first start off with the good advice that he gave me. He said that these, he called them tendencies, uh, may never go away in your life. So I, I'm really glad that he, you know, he didn't promise me that these were things that were going to go away. Um, but he also said that the most likely occurrence or, or the most likely thing to happen was you'd come off your mission, marry a woman, and it would just sort of be put on the back burner and, and not be a concern. And so what do you do, you know, when you're 16, 17, you listen to your priesthood. Sure. And so that's really what I thought and believed. Um, so despite having these attractions, I always just assumed that uh, they'll just go away or they'll just not be important later on in life. 
and so that's that's basically how I approached it. Um, how was your emotional health? Because some in at that age, in any age, are suicidal and thinking that's my out. I'm reading some of those terms to describe someone like you makes you feel like you wonder if you're better off not being here. Yeah, you know, I, I had thoughts, but none of them were serious. I, I, I learned to sort of compartmentalize. So for me, that was something that I, I you know, it, it didn't necessarily take over everything. Um, you know, I, I, I had thoughts, what, what would it be like if I weren't here, but never anything that was serious. Good. Uh, never, glad. never went to any sort of plan or, or anything like that. So I'm glad. So you're navigating a really tough road, very much alone. Yeah. With not a kind of an environment that's safe to come out, but you eventually do come out to your bishop and your parents. Yeah. Because you're wanting to serve a mission. Yeah. So uh, I, I then go on my mission. Um, and again, it was sort of always with the, the belief that, well, I don't have to worry about my attractions because again, that'll be all sorted out later. So on my mission, it wasn't a big deal. Um, I, I, there were certainly people that I was attracted to on my mission, but I didn't, it wasn't something that I was, that was focused on. There were other, you know, obviously the teaching and finding people, um, was sort of at the forefront, but, um, it, it certainly didn't go away during that time. Uh, uh, but again, I, I, it just, it just wasn't an issue. It wasn't an issue during those two years. Some report that it's less of an issue, even though, because you're kind of part of a a brotherhood with a higher cause and no one's dating and, and you're kind of part of this team of helping bring the gospel to others. Did you feel it was a better time in a way? Cause you were, or was it just kind of, it was kind of there still on the back burner. Now you were just in another chapter of your life serving a mission. I would say the latter kind of where it, it, it wasn't better during that time. It was just, it was kind of like it always was, but again, it was, did you have anxiety going that you would fall in love with a companion or this, you would be outed or, or did you just compartmentalize that and say, I'm going to be okay. And I'm just going to move forward with my mission. That was, that was it. The la the latter part again, where I just felt like it was, it was going to be okay. So. And how long were you on Bermuda? Six months. You were there six months mm -hmm. of 24. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how many missionaries are in the Bermuda at the same time? There were four, uh, but after a month or two, they whittled it down to two. So it was just me, wow. me and my companion for a good four months or so. Well, and our uh, fellow in our own ward, the Reynolds, just came back from that mission and talked about Bermuda. And Oh, it's gorgeous. And, it's gorgeous. Yeah. And everyone was jealous because they thought I had already had the island life. So why did I get to have the island life again? So. And you're not an islander. You're a, your culture heritage. Ter tell people where your culture her heritage is from. Yeah, my dad is Finnish. Uh, so uh, I'm half Finnish and, and we still have all my relatives are, are in Finland. And I, I visit there once at least, uh, often twice a year. Was there a time on your mission where you thought, um, this really hasn't changed. It's not going away. I mean, if I had talked to you, right, if you had written in your journal right before you left in your mission, would you have kind of thought, you know, this will leave me as I serve a mission? Or do you remember what that bishop said, that this won't leave you? And and did you feel anxiety as you were coming home that, hey, I still, you know, have these feelings? I'd say, again, I think the bishop, the really great thing that he did, it was he set me up for for 
acknowledging that this is something that I may always have my whole life. And so um, I never really expected that it would completely go away, but I did still believe that um, the more diligent I was, and I think so many of your guests on the podcast have said the same thing, and that is the more diligent you were, the more you could prove yourself worthy of blessings and that calls into my mind the this last general conference where I think it was Elder Runland who said we never truly earn uh, a blessing. We qualify ourselves for that blessing. In any case, um, my belief was that I could earn, um, you know, the the desire for straightness. I could earn the, being in the straight club, and this would sort of just be a very, 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 very minimal part of me. And so I was diligent on my mission. Um, and when I came home, I. You know, everyone knows the... You came back to Hawaii. Your family's still in Hawaii. Correct. They're, they're still in Hawaii. I, I did go to BYU in, in Provo, Utah. Okay. Um, so um, so I went to school there. Um, and I took seriously the, the instruction to, 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 to try to date. And so my dating typically... Um, and, I, and I started pretty quickly after getting home. Um, for my mission, I, I would date a woman, oh, anywhere from five to a dozen dates or so. And, and, uh, and, and then the time would come where, uh, she'd sort of wonder, well, are we gonna sort of make this a committed thing or whatnot? And, and I felt like a fraud. Um, and I, I didn't think it was fair to them. Uh, so I'd usually say, you know, no, let's, let's, let's call it off. But I always believed that the next one was going to be the one that the change was going to happen, that this was just not the right one at the time. Uh, but when you have it happen to you 10 times, then it's, you know, then you start wondering, well, okay, maybe, uh, maybe this isn't right for me. And I remember now, this is after I had graduated. and um, Tell our listeners what you graduated in at BYU. So I graduated in political science, okay. actually, um, and did pre-medicine courses on the side. Uh, and so I graduated in 2007, um, worked for a year for an eye doctor while waiting to start medical school, uh, went to University of Hawaii, so I lived at home, actually. Uh, during my medical school training from 2008 to 2012, saved me a lot of money. Uh, rent in, in Hawaii is significantly high. But um, it was actually when I was starting medical school um, where I started having those thoughts of maybe this isn't the path for me. Um, it, it, you know, in, instead of assuming what God wanted for me, I actually one day remember praying a different kind of prayer, uh, instead of asking or assuming what he wanted for me, I, I asked him what he actually wanted, uh, for me. And if it was okay, uh, for me to stop dating women simply because it wasn't working. And I just wasn't, didn't feel like that was the path for me. And I just remember feeling an overwhelming sense of peace that, that, that was not, that was not the path that I was supposed to take. So it's a pretty powerful, what you just shared, that you opened the door 
to ask a question you didn't feel like you could ask or you just didn't feel impressed to ask, but you asked a different question. Is it okay for me not to date women anymore? Right. And this is maybe, how many, this is four years plus a couple more? I, I, of of dating I'd say mission? four to five. So yeah. this is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they say the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. And, and that's what it was for how me. How was your emotional health? Because some report, then this is the time that it really is hard on them emotionally as their friends are getting married, the fellow missionaries in the mission, and you're doing everything you can to follow the prescribed path, but it's not working. Were you okay emotionally? Well, you know, I, it was one of those things where I, 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 I probably wasn't okay emotionally, but I distracted myself with other things. Uh, and that is trying to get into medical school, the first year of medical school, all that is, is grueling. So I sort of used that as my quote unquote out, um, way of coping with, with that, um, but I certainly always emotionally, I, I felt like I was a, a square peg in a round hole. You know, I just, I just, I just didn't fit. Um, and, um, and so that was really the first step. And I'd say step towards healing, because even though I felt an overwhelming sense of peace when I asked if it was okay to stop dating, one instance can't, you know, I, I had sort of lived a whole life of dissonance, right? Where, I'm supposed to do one thing, but I, I feel another. Um, and so it's hard to erase all of that with one instance. It's not like it went away. And so that was sort of the first, first step toward healing was, was that prayer. Um, and I love that you said the first step towards healing. So it was an answer, but it also healed you. Talk about why it was just healing to hear that you didn't need to date women anymore. Well, it was, it was, it was healing because, you know, I, I felt, I felt the fact that I wasn't being successful at dating, that I was a failure, that I was somehow, um, fractured or broken or, or whatnot, that I wasn't, I just wasn't whole. Um, and, and really, uh, yeah, the healing stages, uh, started, started that. It's interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, so four years of med school, um, didn't date anyone during that time. Were you active in the church during this time? So, well, depends on your act, definition of activity. <laughs> Good question. Um, I'll let you define it. <laughs> so, you know, I'd, I'd probably go to church uh, two-thirds to three-quarters of the time, um, many times uh, just for sacrament meeting. Um, and you know, it's, 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 it's tough again, feeling like, like you had mentioned, seeing all your friends, seeing everyone sort of pair off, get married and, and you realize that's not for you. And so, um, how, and the question in my mind was how, how can I stay committed fully to something when the people or the, the institution that I think should have the answers for me doesn't have the answers for me. And so part of me wanted to be committed and part of me just couldn't be committed for, for that very reason. Um, more dissonance for you. Right. Right. You're in two or decades of dissonance. Right. Right. Um, 
so yeah, went through medical school four years, um, and then got a residency position in Springfield, Illinois, uh, doing dermatology, which is what I absolutely wanted to do. So I was thrilled. Um, I had no connections to Illinois. Um, but luckily my sister and, uh, her husband, uh, were going up to going to school up in Northwestern. So they were three hours away. So that was sort of my, uh, my pillar, my anchor during those four years, because those four years were very tough, even though I was doing what I wanted to do. So those this is four, four years, years of, res of residency training. Yeah. So just sort of Again, uh, for becoming a doctor, you have to go through medical school, which is four years. And then residency training can vary depending on your specialty from three to nine years, depending on your specialty, of course. And dermatology was four years. Um, and those four years were really tough because I was living on my own um, and didn't have family except for my sister, three, three and a half hours. She was really sort of my, my lifeline during that time. Um, what's her I, name? Katri. 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 Yep. If you're listening, Katri, awesome job. She, she, she is fantastic. And I'll refer to her again later because she had an important, um, sort of part when I, when I started coming out more broadly. So, um, so during, during that time, uh, I had a lot of really dark moments because when I was going through medical school, I had medical school and I was living at home. So I sort of had family to buffer any sort of loneliness that I had. Um, I definitely still had loneliness, but it, that, that was a buffer. Um, in Illinois, it was really lonely. Um, I, I wondered how I was going to, to make it through life by myself. And I remember um, one day just, you know, I, I couldn't do it anymore and I knelt down in prayer. Um, I was to the point of just asking God, do you, do you even care? You know, I've gone through the all, you know, 20 years and, and it just seems like, do you really care that I'm going through this? And this is one of those anchor points in your life that when things go south or when you feel like everything is going against you, you can at least hold on to these anchor points. And this was one anchor point. I remember feeling almost literally uh, an embrace. I, I, I can't describe it, but I just remember feeling such overwhelming peace. I remember almost audibly hearing the words, I love you because of who you are. Um, and not in spite of this thing that you're going through. So I love you because of who you are. And I've had multiple instances like that since that time. And for the listeners here, I, I, I it's really important. I think if you are ever questioning God's love for you, just ask. And in my life, he has always delivered on that question. Um, you know, other questions such as, you know, testimony questions, all that stuff, you know, sometimes he lets you wait for me. Whenever I ask about God's love for me, I always, always can rely on that. So 
So that's one anchor point there. Um, came out to a couple bishops there. Uh, the first one was generally supportive, but just hadn't had much experience with it. Didn't know how to advise me. And I, again, I'm not. This is a resonant word. There's not a YSA word. There is no YSA word. And I think I, I was 31 so. at that time anyway. And, and so, yeah. Um, the, um, and, and he wasn't a bishop for very long. Um, second bishop, I also came out to, and he was very, very supportive. Um, again, didn't have a whole lot of advice necessarily to give me. Um, the other anchor point came, um, during my time in Illinois with my stake president. And his name's Paul. He probably will be listening to this because he's a big fan of yours. Good. And he does listen to uh, some of these podcasts. Um, so I remember uh, he, I, I had an interview with him. I think it was for a calling. Um, this was another thing that I wrote in my journal. So uh, just because the, the emotions are more sort of uh, raw, in my journal because they happen, you know, I write them down right when they happen rather than me trying to remember them five years ago. So if you don't mind me reading that again, um, so I really wanted to tell him about this, but I didn't, I hadn't, I hadn't really sp spent a lot of time with him or spoken with him. So, um, so I remember, um, wondering, you know, in my head, could I trust coming out because every time you come out to someone you always are wondering about rejection wondering about how they're going to react um and so i remember um saying in my head um well why don't i just um read what i wrote here i said i kept replaying in my head the way that i know that god is speaking through him is that he would ask me is there anything else you want to talk about and those were essentially the words that came out of his mouth he had the most calm, loving, and empathetic demeanor that I could have hoped for in a stake president. It was, I must say, as if the Savior were there listening to me. His main point that he wanted to drive home was that God loves me and that I just need to retain hope that he has a plan specifically for me. He offered me a blessing, blessing me with the hope that I need to carry on and that God does have a plan for me. That evening, he called me again just wanting to thank me for sharing my thoughts. Well, now I have tears in my eyes for this home run priesthood leader moment. And he called you back that night. He called night. me back. He gave yeah. you a blessing and called you back that night. Yeah. Yeah. So, Paul, if you're listening, he would deflect all, you know, deflect all praise or anything, but. Um, that was a crucial, again, anchor point to me. I love your visual of anchor points, Eric, and I love this interaction with your stick present, how you set that up and how you would be willing to talk about your orientation if he said something like, is there anything else you'd like to talk about? And you knew that was the green light. Right. Right. Interestingly, um, two years, uh, one or two years later, he was about to be released as the stake president. And he had been 
praying in his mind, um, who's one person in the whole stake that I could reach out to, um, who could use some, some love, some reinforcement, some whatever. Um, and he told me that my, my name kept popping in his head. And so we had another long discussion a couple of years later. Um, and during that time he had taken me out to lunch a couple, you know, a few times just wanting to talk. And so his, his, his calling went beyond what he would, his, I'm not going to say this correctly, but he fulfilled his calling way beyond what, you know, what's said in the manual or whatnot. Um, he really did, um, you know, go, go above and beyond. Um, so during the second, uh, interaction, he just, again, wanted to main, ma maintain, you know, uh, that, that God loves me. Um, and, and I wrote down a few more points that he, uh, sort of emphasized during that discussion. He told me number one, that he'd be my friend and love me whether I stayed in the church or I left the church. I think that was, that is crucial. That is crucial that we should, um, love those that we interact with, whether or not they stay in the church. Number two, he said that he couldn't fully relate to my situation, but that God does. And that if I ever needed to, um, relate to someone, turn to him in prayer. Number three, he validated my pain and gave me space and permission to lose hope. And number four, he emphasized hope, hope, hope. Not necessarily in the traditional gospel plan, but that there was a specific plan meant for me. And so that, you know, he was just sort of, again, that whole episode there was, was an anchor point for me. Um, and, uh, he continues to call me. We have conversations. He every continues couple. to call you. Yep. He's long, he's way past being a stake president. Um, and he continues, we continue to call each other. And that, that is the true, uh, definition of friend. So. Yeah. I'm, I get tears in my eyes every now and then in these podcasts, but that's just a, such a tender, sacred priesthood leadership moment of someone who's really close to spirit and you who's really close to spirit. And uh, I just love that moment. I love the, I love that you're writing this down. It's a testimony of keeping journals. I've never had anybody read from their journal at age 12 and 13. <laughs> I have years volumes later. of journals, unfortunately. I think that's so. part of your calling and part of documenting your life, you know, but I love this moment. I love the things he taught you that you just shared. So keep telling your story, Eric. Yeah. So I, uh, I finished my residency, uh, towards the end of my residency, my brother called me, um, kind of, we talk every week, every two weeks, this is my older brother. Um, and he, he said, Eric, I, I feel like there's something going on in your life. I don't know what it is and it doesn't matter in the sense that I will love you no matter what it is. So whenever, or if you ever feel like talking to me about it, just know that I'll love you no matter what it is. 
And at that point, the only family members that knew that I was gay were my parents. Um, at that moment, I wasn't ready to tell him. He called me probably was six months later. Um, and, and said the same thing, you know, I just wanted to follow up on a conversation we had six months ago. I want you to know that no matter what it is, I love you. So anyway, he was the first, um, immediate family member besides my parents that I came out to overwhelming love and, and support. Um, over the next year or so, so this was, you know, a year or two ago, uh, all of my family know a lot of close friends. And there's five uh, siblings in your family, including you. So yeah, I have four siblings, uh, one older brother, one older sister, one younger brother, one younger sister. So I'm the glue that holds everything. Together. I like that. <laughs> um, but they have all, they've all been nothing but supportive. Um, and we talked about this before we started the podcast here. And that is, I, I just didn't feel the need to be, you know, to broadcast. Um, now again, this is not a prescription for other people. So other people may feel the need to broadcast and, and that's, you know, I fully support them in that. Others may never feel the need to, to do anything. And that's, and that's fine too. Um, that's, that's their path. Um, but, um, it took me, you know, 20, 20 plus years to, to tell immediate family members, not because I was afraid. Um, but just, I just didn't feel the need to, um, and truthfully, as a side note, we also have to take into account practical matters. Um, I knew that if I came out broadly, you never know how it affects employment. Um, you never know how it affects residency choices. That's right? honest. That's so, really honest. So, um, so there are biases out there. And... Um, that is something, unfortunately, that we do have to take into account at this point is, is, um, is it can affect those things. And so, um, thinking about those and kind of taking that into consideration as well is, is important. So. And I don't think that's a sign of weakness. I just like you're, I, I just think everybody's on their own path right. on how to come out and, and when to come out and who to come out with. And some people see a public post and sort of think, well, that's what I'm supposed to do. And. Like your example showing, I just invite everybody to do that or not do it right. <laughs> on their own terms. And I recognize I have strict privilege, so, you know, I don't have to worry about applying to residency. And, you know, so I just recognize that everything you're doing is kind of a little bit guarded because you've got this wonderful career that you're so invested in pursuing. And so I think that is very thoughtful on your part. Right. Right. Thanks. Um, so went to my got a job in Oregon, Salem, Oregon, where I currently am. Um, and, uh, I've, I've been there for two and a half, three years now. It was about a year ago. Any ties to Oregon? No. So this is just like <laughs> yeah. Springfield or Bermuda or <laughs> exactly. New York. You that's, just keep getting sent to well, all these places. You have no ties. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and that's also part of who I am is, is, is I'm I'm okay and willing to to sort of venture forth and and experience new things. So um, I, I, really, I was attracted to the Northwest. I, I love the I'm an outdoors junkie. So um, the Northwest is sort of an, an outdoors haven. Um, and 
and uh, the group, the dermatology group that I joined is just quality, quality people. And I could sense that. And there's another member of the church who's a dermatologist there. And he's become a, you know, a very, very strong friend. He, he knows my life situation. He knows that I'm gay. He's, I, I told him I was coming on the podcast today and he was just elated him and his wife are both, uh, you know, just so excited and they'll be listening too. So, um, but so the word belong comes in my mind when you describe a situation like that, you belong in this dermatology clinic because of your skills, but you belong there with this guy, you know, fellow church member who knows you're gay and he, you belong and, and that's gotta be a good feeling. And I love just that people are making space for you. Absolutely. Um, there's even another dermatologist who's not a member of the church. Um, and I told him, um, and I'll go into this more, but I, I, I wanted to talk to him about cutting down to three days a week working. Um, and one of the reasons was because I wanted to be more involved in, uh, reaching out to gay members of the church and also just doing more, uh, you know, service opportunities. And, and he was just overwhelmingly, um, supportive of that. Um, and so, uh, the belong is exactly the right word. I feel like I belong there. And I, I sort of sensed that when I first joined the group, because logically it didn't make sense for me to go to, to Salem, Oregon. Um, but I just felt like that was the place for me, um, at that time. Um, so about a year ago, um, I'd sort of reached a point though, where, you know, the gospel, you know, going through the church, there's always something to look forward to or something to do. So there's, you know, uh, going, going on a mission, then you come home and you get married and then you have kids or whatnot. That's sort of the traditional thing to do. Um, there's always some next step. Um, and I, I knew that that was not going to happen for me, at least in the traditional sense. Um, and I had reached a point where in medical school, you know, through the medical training, there was always a next step as well. There were always exam after exam after exam, going through undergraduate, going through medical school, going through residency. Um, there was always some next step to look forward to or to achieve. And now that I'm a dermatologist, I, I sort of asked myself, well, what's next? What is this? All there is left, right? Is, is, is being alone being by myself for 50, 60 years and going to work every day, is that really going to fulfill what I want in life? And so I wouldn't necessarily call it a midlife crisis because I don't want to say that I'm midlife already. You're not old enough for a mid <laughs> But it was, in a sense, sort of one of those philosophical crises that I, that I had. Um, and... I, I just started really praying fervently that my, my path would be shown or I would find my path. Cause I don't think that God just lays it out in front of you. I think you have to kind of navigate it. Um, and, and since that time, there's just been so many experiences. And I'll go through some of those, but so many experiences that, that I feel like he's leading me on. I'm, I'm finding my path. 
I'm finding my path and I'm, I'm really excited about it. Um, so a few, few sort of, again, uh, critical things happened at that time. It was late summer last year, 2018. Um, first thing was Tom Christofferson's book that we maybe won. If any of you have not read it, I strongly recommend it. Um, I feel like it sort of opened the door to be even more free to talk about, about these things. Um, it's interesting because I mean, I don't know for sure, but I think Tom was primarily writing it for parents and for families and local leaders, but I've always felt it helps LGBTQ people. Right. And it seems like that's it, really it true. Really, for you. So it has it multiple really audiences. Me. Yeah. It really helped me feel like I could be more open about it. Um, and then, uh, professor Eric Huntsman, I don't know him personally. Uh, he gave a BYU devotional speech. I think it was in August of 2018. Um, I'm going to get the name of the talk wrong, but it's something about, you know, safe space, uh, you know, hard, hard sayings and safe spaces. That's it. And he doesn't solely focus on LGBTQ issues. Uh, he, he focuses on the marginalized, um, and you know, the, the focusing on how the savior just loves. And that's really the heart of the gospel is love and making space for people who feel like they don't belong. Um, and I shared it with my current Bishop just saying, Hey, I think this is an important talk. And he then, I believe, uh, encouraged the elders quorum president to um to make it as part of a a fifth sunday lesson um no it wasn't a fifth it was just an elders quorum lesson and i just remember everyone who who had read it and who had commented in class was just taken um taken a not taken aback in a bad way but taken aback about how meaningful it was to their lives as well and it was during that lesson that I, that I came out more broadly and it wasn't for the purpose of seeking attention, but it was to sort of put a face to the issue and, and give a brief glimpse into, um, had you planned on doing that when you drove no, to elders corner? No, I, I didn't. So this was, I didn't. you, did you know the, that talk was being, taught? I did know that it was being kinda, taught. Yeah. So you I were did. just looking forward to elders quorum yeah. and you loved the talk and sense that elders quorum would love. And then, yeah. So talk just, was there certain, just felt impressed Was the spirit just walk us through that? Well, yeah. So I guess I should rewind a little bit. And that is my elders quorum president was, he took each individual uh, member of the quorum out to lunch, uh, not on the same day, of course, but each one individually on different days. And, and I remember you know, our lunch lasted two, two and a half hours. And he had just was, was very curious about my experience. And so I was able to share that with him. Um, and, and so during the lesson, I, so he I, knew you were gay. He knew he, I was. And, yeah. He knew I was. And did that go okay with your elders corn present? Was that a good lunch for you? And oh, absolutely. So absolutely. that was a good oh, experience. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Great experience. Um, and he 
sort of encouraged me to be more open about it. And, and he, uh, said that, you know, there would be people who would be more supportive than, than you might imagine. So uh, again, during that, during that lesson, I hadn't planned on it, but I just felt, I felt almost like I couldn't keep it in. Um, even though it was again, not anything that I had ever planned. I didn't feel the need to speak broadly about it, but in this instance, I really did. It was almost like God was forcing not in a bad way, but you know, out of my mouth. And so I shared my experience and, and I remember, um, a lot of people came up to me after that and many with tears in their eyes. Um, and I remember, uh, a particular elder in our quorum who was, who's probably in his seventies who, huh. um, grew up in Northern Utah. And, and he talked about how growing up, he, he grew up around only white people, around traditional members of the church. And he says he's had to come such a long way in his journey towards accepting, you know, with the blacks and the priesthood, um, and LGBTQ issues. Um, and, and so I know that people's hearts can change. I know that they can change. And this, a uh, friend of mine is is one example of one that definitely did change. So, and um, I love this idea. Change happens. That we shared with me before the podcast. Change happens one heart at a time. Right, right. And and I'll 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 get into that in a little bit. Good. Um. So another event that happened. Um. So. Then I was asked to give, oh, so let me kind of back up again a little bit. And that is uh, a, a, a sacrament meeting talk on Pioneer Day. And I, 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 maybe I'm disrespectful, but I, I typically tend to zone out or kind of snooze during Pioneer talks most of the time. Um, but for some reason, I was intent on this one. And um, the... I just clearly remember during that talk, God speaking to me and saying, I need you to be a pioneer. Again, it was almost an audible thing, sort of like that other anchor point that I had talked about. I love you because of who you are and not in spite of it. This one was, I need you to be a pioneer. And I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what it meant to be a pioneer, um, but I knew that I had some role to play in bridging this seeming divide between um, the church and LGBTQ uh, community. And I still don't know exactly what that means. I'm still finding that out. Okay. And that's the exciting part of it is I, I'm, I'm still trying to, trying to figure that out. Um, but I also, there was one um, quote that was given, and I wrote this down again, um, so if you don't mind me um, pulling this up again, that just hit me really hard. Um, it was written by someone who had gone through the um, the handcart, one of the handcart companies, and, and there was disaster and and there was criticism towards why would you even you know order these handcart companies to go through during that time uh, and. 
And there was one uh, member who said, the price we paid to become acquainted with God was a privilege to pay. And again, speaking for myself, I felt at that moment that all the years that I had spent grappling with trying to bridge this dissonance in my mind between being gay and being a member of the church, what it forced me to do was it forced me to develop a deep and personal relationship with Heavenly Father. I don't think anything else could have led me to do that in such a deep way. And this hit me so hard when I heard this. And it felt so personal to me. The price I paid, the price I had to pay to become acquainted with God was a privilege to pay. There were lots, there have been lots and lots and lots of painful, dark, dark moments. And that, you know, the, but I had to pay that price to get to know God. And I'm not, again, I'm not trying to make this a, a, a prescription for other people. Um, but for me, that was, um, it was very, he another healing moment for me. It was okay. It, it, it didn't go, it wasn't for not. Okay. It wasn't for not. It wasn't for not. So the, um, so anyway, I was then asked to give a talk. Um, this was this past January this year, 2019. Um, specifically about ministering and I took the liberty. I didn't ask permission. Um, I took the liberty to talk about ministering to the marginalized specifically. Interestingly, my parents were in the audience as well. They didn't know I was going to talk about this either, but, um, but it was a, it was a great thing. Great moment. Um, and specifically I focused on ministering how to minister to the LGBTQ community. Um, and, um, the response that I got was overwhelmingly positive. Of course, people who don't, who weren't positive about it probably just didn't come up to me and talk to me, but Did you come out um, in the talk. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, that was one of the first things that I, that I said. Um, and again, I didn't do it for attention. Um, that wasn't my purpose. And I think people who criticize others for coming out assume or assign intentions to us. We, they think that we're trying to get attention. It's, it's not about attention. It's about being authentic. It's about being um, not ashamed of this part of you that is essential and important and essential and, and, important. and not, um, not fractured or broken, but whole and complete. Um, and, and, and yeah, so I, I, I came out to them, um, and, and I had so many people come up to me afterwards. In fact, I remember mid eighties, again, another mid eighties, uh, woman who came up to me and said, thank you so much for sharing what your experience. I realize even at my age, I have so much that I need to learn. Wow. And, um, you know, there were so many others who said that they had had family members who they wished had been, again, not trying to draw attention to my talk, but if, if they had been there, 
they know that that would have at least helped to, to, to create a bridge um, because they had some members who had stopped coming to church because of this very issue. Um, another member um, said that their grandson committed suicide over this issue, over being gay. Um, and so there's so many, so many people who, um, you know, could, I, I, there's so many hearts that we, that we can change. And, and so many people want to talk and have, so many people want to talk about and it. They want exactly. to talk at church and heal at church and that you're safe to talk to and this conversation happens. Right. And, and I don't know. And it's ministering. Right. It's actually right. one of the very best things you can do under a ministering talk is get these conversations going because you're brave and vulnerable. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I, I just feel like there is a, a, maybe it's subtle, maybe it's just wishful thinking, but I feel like there is um, a shift. I don't know if it's a cultural shift, a, if you want to call it a great awakening or a renaissance or whatever within the church, I think people want to do the right thing. I really do. I really feel that members of the church want to do the right thing. Um, and so these events have just, I just feel like God is gently nudging me further out of um, sort of being comfortable, right? I didn't feel the need to be open about it to everyone. Um, but I feel that he's sort of guiding me towards, towards being more open. Um, and so also along this journey, um, I think I mentioned, you know, I, I, I kind of had a rich young ruler kind of experience. I, I love that story in the new Testament, the rich young ruler. He comes up to Christ and he asks him, you know, what, what can I do to have eternal life? And, and Christ, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, mentions, uh, you know, five or six commandments. And he says, all these I've done, what lack I yet? And Christ tells him, go and sell all that you have, give to the poor and come follow me. And to me, it's one of those things where he's asking for, for our heart. That's what he's really asking for. He's asking for, for our heart. Um, and even though the rich young men didn't at that time, we don't know if he eventually did, but at that time he couldn't do it. Jesus, it says in Mark, uh, that Jesus still loved him. Um, I had had one of those moments where I was just, I was still feeling like, what, what can I still do? What lack I yet. Um, and I, I just felt this impression that to have more meaning in my life, I was going to cut down on work. So I, I'm, I'm in the transition to going down to three days a week. Um, I, I'm going to make a lot less money doing it that way. Um, but I have enough to, to, to fill my needs. And I just feel a strong, impression that I need to help those in the LGBTQ community and at the same time 
serve in the church as well, be more active in the temple. And some may ask, well, you know, how can you, you know, why, why, why do you want to do both? Why don't you choose one way or the other? And, and I am both, I'm gay. I am a member of the church and, and I feel like for me, God is telling me be both. Um, and so I'm, I'm trying to use this increased time I'm creating for myself to, to be of more, um, service towards others. And, and, um, I just really feel that that is the way we're going to affect change is one heart at a time. Um, not one to two years ago, I, I asked, you know, why I was, I was wondering why we can't just have the general authorities, um, give us a re I, you know, I remember talking to my mom one day, give us, why can't they just give us a reason to want to stay? Why can't they give us a reason to stay? And I remember the answer that I got in my heart was I am the reason to stay, right? It's not for any other reason. I am the reason to stay. The focus should always be on Christ and, and, and bringing people to Christ. And, and I feel like change is going to happen one heart at a time and not from some declaration, not from some policy or policy reversal. Um, but it's going to be a one-on-one, -on -one, um, heart to heart kind of deal. Um, that's not to diminish the power that a declaration can have. Um, but I just think real change is going to happen that way. So certainly what happened for me, I, I mean, my heart changed as I met with gay people in my ward. And um, so I love that. I I had a guest on the podcast who's preparing to become a trauma surgeon. She's, and she talked about, you know, I am not going to, this is plan A for me. I'm gay. I'm a Latter-day Saint. I'm going to be a trauma surgeon. And I'm not going to get married. <laughs> I'm not going to have kids. Yeah. yeah. And she kind of talked about this is not plan B for me. This is actually plan A. And I like the way she framed that up because um, some might look at an unmarried person in our church and say, well, that's, it's hard. And I don't want to, you know, frame up your life and how you feel. But I, I do like the, these decisions you're making are based on faith instead of fear. So even the faith-based decision to say, I'm going to work three days a week is just kind of you, Eric. Mm -hmm. It's you just because of you work so close with God, you're acting on impressions to make faithful-based decisions about your life. And that's a little out of the box to say in your age, I'm going to work three days a week. But I look at that as great faith. And if we had you on the podcast in 10 years, you'd probably say, why? <laughs> You did that and what you've been able to accomplish with that extra time, even though you're working, earning less money and why it was a great decision. I love to hear stories like that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've been asked, so what is the future, Other, you know, in yeah. terms of the church? Um, you know, I, I plan on, you know, staying in the church. I, I, I feel, I feel close to Christ when I go to church. I, I feel healed. Um, I, I, I love the camaraderie that I feel there. Um, I also have not 
you know, I, you know, based off of your, 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 your comment just barely about making decisions based off of faith. Um, I haven't closed any doors. You know, some people say, well, does that mean you're always going to stay single your whole life? And, uh, you know, I, I just prefer not to close doors. Um, I, 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 I leave all doors open and I, um, if, if I feel that God is leading me towards one direction, who am I to deny, um, God's power, God's will for me. And so, um, it's an exciting thing for me, um, rather than a sort of a, a sad, solemn thing, uh, when I leave things open, when I leave possibilities open. So my feeling is who better to trust Derek with Eric's life than you? You know, my if I were your bishop and I heard that, I'd say, Eric, I just trust you. I absolutely trust you to know what your path is. And I don't need to remind you of the doctrine of our church. I don't need to re... I would just say, I trust you. And I'll be your friend. And you've been following God's impressions for 30 plus years. And I think you'll continue to do that. Right, right. I, I, I mean, I hope so. And I, I would... That's advice that I would, I think many people would appreciate and, 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 uh, you know, there's no one better. I can promise you no one better at knowing doctrine about this issue than, than members of the church who are LGBTQ. They, they know the doctrine. You don't need me to remind you of the doctrine. (laughs) Reminders simply just don't, you know, don't change behavior or whatever. Um, it's all about love. It's all about heart. So. I'm, you know, the contrast between your journal entry at age 12 and, and some of the words you repeated from Miracle of Forgiveness and, and just so tender for where you were at 12, and then the talk you gave and the discussions you're having in Elders Quorum and this stick president, Paul, I think is his Paul. first name. Yep. And if you're listening, Paul, thank you for what you're doing for Eric and so many and what you've done, but you know, what's happening now compared to how you felt at age 12 is 180 degrees mm-hmm. different. Absolutely. And it's just further light and understanding. It's as we get to know people, people are hard to hate close in, close up, move in. We talked about it before we went live. And I think this is just part of your journey. And I love that you feel to call to be a pioneer to talk about this space, but I think you've worked really hard to have a relationship with God where you're able to do this now. Because in some ways, and I don't want to be critical of our church, our institutional church hasn't known how to help you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and even when you you followed what you're supposed to do and talked to the bishops, you know, they didn't, I like that they didn't have a lot of answers and sort of tried it. Sometimes we make up stuff if we don't know. Right. And I love, so your experiences were generally, I don't, you know, Thanks for telling me. (laughs) I don't quite know what to do. Right, Um, right. And so I just look at where we're learning and growing and understanding and your role to help us. I'm going to read a tweet from James Martin, who's a Jesuit priest, if I'm saying that right. Maybe you know him. And he talks about, he says, I thought God wanted, wanted to use me to show gay people how to be straight. Instead, God used gay people to show me how to be a Christian. (laughs) Awesome. That's great. (laughs) And I just love that quote because I know, and I've shared this on the podcast, that I'm a better disciple of Christ. And I think your congregation in Salem is a better ministering environment because of 
having you in that congregation and having LGBTQ people in my life that give me insights about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I, I'm hopeful for the future, but I love where you're talking about it happening one heart at a time at the local level. More thoughts you'd like to share, Eric? Yeah. Um, interestingly, I want to share one more experience, and that Good. is um, I was actually at a visiting ward, visiting a ward up in northern Idaho uh, just a month ago. And uh, I was visiting my brother's ward and it was the bishop, someone in the bishopric was giving a lesson. It was a fifth Sunday lesson. So I think it was the end of March. Um, and it was on the come follow me manual. And um, I don't know how much it had to do with whatever lesson he was giving, but he, he suddenly, he sort of took a pivot and just said, you know, I, I feel impressed to share an experience and he goes on to relate how when he was preparing for his mission. So this was probably 15 to 20 years ago, which is, I didn't, I don't know how old he was, but just based off of what, you know, I could gather, it was probably about 15 to 20 years ago. He was preparing for his mission and his friend, it may have been a best friend or a really good friend. I can't remember came out as gay and the the bishopric member giving the lesson at that time kind of cut ties with with his gay friend and um just didn't feel like he needed to be you know friends with him anymore somehow his bishop found out about this and when he went in to see his bishop Rick, bishop about getting uh, his mission papers submitted um, his, his bishop actually declined to sign him off and said, before I sign off on your mission papers, uh, you need to learn how to love your friend again. And the bishop wow. member was, you know, why, why do I need to do that? And the bishop said, you will meet many LGBTQ individuals on your mission and other people who feel marginalized. You need to learn to love them as the Savior loves them. That is the most important thing that you can learn in life is learning to love as Christ loves. And so this bishopric member it took six months or so. Um, he did mend that friendship. And I think that the his friend had to write a letter of support uh, before his bishop would sign off on his papers. And this bishopric member had tears in his eyes when he was giving this lesson. And he, he said that um, since that time, his brother, one of his brothers and one of his nephews has come out as gay. And um, with such a tender heart, he, um, you know, he emphasized to all of us that the single most thing that we can learn in life is to learn how to love as God loves. And so I think that's sort of the last you know, thought that I would leave is, is that's the most important thing. Um, can leave the rest up to God. You know, we don't have to complicate things. It's all about love. Um, loving those who are different from you, loving those who are the same as you. Um, it's all about love. And so, um, for any of those, uh, you know, any of you listeners who are questioning, you know, whether, whether God loves you again, I just emphasize the importance of asking him whether he loves you or not. 
And if you're ever in the Oregon area, in the Salem area, um, I, I'll save a seat for you at church if you don't want to come to church. Um, I'll still be your friend. And I'm more than happy to help in any way that I can. Thank you, Eric. Um, uh, uh, Tell our listeners your current calling, and just um, that came after you came out over the pulpit to your congregation. Yeah, a a few weeks ago I was uh, called to be the second counselor in the Elders Quorum Presidency. Um, And and again, that happened three weeks ago, so it's after— after I came out broadly to the whole ward. And so they, they're fully aware. They made, they extended the calling with full knowledge of that. And, uh, so it was, it's, I'm sort of still in the beginning stages, but, but I'm, I'm happy to. How does it make you feel when you see, um, LGBTQ people leave? Cause you're kind of, you know, you're in the church and, um, but, does it make it harder for you when you see someone leave? Does it make you angry? Are you empathetic because you know how hard the road is? And does it trigger you to want to, I mean, just what are your emotions when a friend or a gay friend, lesbian friend leaves and is in a same-sex partnership? Fully, fully validate and support their decisions. Um, just because I know that we all have our own path to, to go on. And, um, and so for those who decide that they're, you know, that, that they're better, you know, taking a break from church or leaving the church, I fully support that. And there are many reasons that people, people leave and, and I validate that my job is just to, just to continue to love and, um, not to judge, not to wonder why, um, and just to be a friend. So I like that answer. And. I'm on Twitter with a lot of young LDS LGBTQ people, and one day someone talked about how he was being held up as the sort of the example for the church as a celibate gay Latter-day Saint, and then he left, and then he says, now I feel like the villain. Mm-hmm. And he, it's, that word he Very used, that word yeah. he used has just stuck with me that, you know, I want everybody to stay. I invite everybody to stay. All the good in my life comes from the church. I see people that are LGBTQ making it work in the church, and and you belong in this congregation and in a meaningful way. But I, I hope that if someone leaves, they feel our arms around them, that our love for them is just like Paul, your stake right. presence, said, my friendship for you doesn't change. And I'm confident enough in my own church and my own sexual orientation that if you leave, that don't feel a need to make the villain out of you. We sometimes need bogeymen and villains to, I don't know what causes us to do that. And there are real villains and bogeymans like ISIS. And I was reading stories of um, civilizations that sacrificed their children to idol gods. And I'm thinking that's a, that world is a, that's <laughs> pure satanic. <laughs> um, and so I think we have to be careful about who we make the villain. Yeah, and, and I don't know why people sort of feel a need to do an us versus them. I really hate it. I really can't stand an us versus them. This is not a competition. This is not a, you know, a, a, a you know, in in the church we kind of do like to do sort of these analogies to battles. Yeah. Um. 
we're not in a battle with other people who are trying their best to find happiness. We're not, we're not at that battle. Okay. We're not fighting that battle. It's not a battle that we're fighting. Um, our, our battle is to become more like Christ to love as he does. That's what I think our main battle is. So I love that. And you're familiar with this quote. It just, you know, your story fits so well with this. Fitting is about assessing a situation and becoming who you need to in order to be accepted. And you did a lot of that. Um, now you've transitioned to belonging. On the other hand, doesn't require us to change who we are. It requires us to be who you are. And you've done that, but also our culture has done that. Your right. stick president did that. Your parents have done that, your whole family doing it. And then there's this wonderful story of the Salem Ward that is doing that and being a model for that's scalable. Everything the Salem Ward is doing is our doctrine. Right. It is our doctrine of ministry. They're not an outlier. They're not getting ahead of the brethren. They're they're just doing exactly what we're being taught to do. And you are personal benefiting from that because you feel you belong. And and now I think this other chapter is opening up this big door of your role um, with other LGBTQ people within our church and and helping other local leaders and families that I think will help you feel even more that you belong and and provide context to your life and why you hung in there in those dark days in Springfield. Um, many. Yep. <laughs> That's pretty lonely when you're not with your family, you're in an intense program and you don't really fit into your congregation because, you know, you're single. Um, so any concluding thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners, Eric? You know, I'd say I, my, my thoughts always go back to my 13-year-old self, you know, um, I think we can do so much better, not only with loving, but the rhetoric. Okay. Um, and I know it's not just about rhetoric. There has to be substance behind the rhetoric, but the rhetoric actually does matter too. Um, and so I encourage, you know, I encourage all of us to, to just continue to reach out, um, continue to reach out. I want you to know that the, our LGBTQ members are, are not broken. They're not fractured. They're not a mistake. Um, they are, they are intended as God intended them to be. We are as we are made to be. Um, I feel like this is an essential part of who I am. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not afraid of it. I embrace it. It doesn't define me but it's an important part of me just as being a member of the church is an important part of me. Um, and so let's just all be kind. Let's all just be loving. That's all that Christ calls for us to do. Thank you, Eric. That's this wonderful summary statement. Thank you, our listeners for joining us on another episode of listen, Learn and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. And thank you especially for our guest, Eric Kokonen. Got it. Is that yeah, close? E-R-I-K-K-O-K-K-O-N-E-N. You can find Eric on Facebook. Okay, one more thought. You bet. One more thought. You, there's plenty of go-backs okay. in a podcast format. Okay, and that is 
I just really, really appreciate, and I know you'll deflect any praise. I really, really appreciate what you and others are doing to give voice to the voiceless. And I really appreciate even those who work behind the scenes, uh, those who, who don't get the credit, who don't get the praise, who are trying to make the world a better place, the church a better place for everyone, but especially for the LGBTQ individuals. Um, thank you so much. It really, really means a lot to all of us. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you, Eric. Love you, brother. Admire you. And I look forward to just seeing the good work you're going to do. And thanks, our listeners, for joining us. 